So what'd you think about it? It wasn't all that good? Yeah. What didn't you like about it? That's what, you know, a friend of mine went to see the movie too. This is the Joker film. And uh, we walked out of the theater and she says, it's really slow. You know, I was like, and I thought, you know, um, I actually ran into her. She was with her husband. Hey, come on in. Oh, I, yeah, she was with her husband and they were in line in front of me in the theater. And so when the movie got out, I waited for them to come out and we talked a minute. And she said, Man, it was kind of kind of slow, and I was thinking, yeah, it was a little bit, but I still liked it. So, what else is going on? Anything else? No. All right, we're going to jump into chapter eleven. This is a short chapter from a lecture standpoint, and to my knowledge, I don't think we've watched a film in this class yet for this semester. Correct? Okay. That's fine. So we're going to go jump through this uh, today. I'll probably start a film on Thursday because I like to try to show some films in my classes that relate to the subject matter. I know in my 137 class, which Lewis is in, uh, we've shown several films um, or documentaries that try to bring into play the subject matter within the business realm. And uh, I think the students that watch these films, most of the feedback I get is, Wow, it's really interesting to see it from uh, either if it's a documentary, a real-world perspective, or if it's a movie from close to a real world, but usually fictionalized a little bit. And so we'll, we'll pick up something on Thursday and go with it. But um, chapter 11 is on teamwork and communication. And this is a good chapter because it's uh, most people I find don't like working in teams, right? Do you agree with that? Right, 100%? Yeah, um, there's this dynamic in any team environment where you're going to have a top and a bottom performer, basically. Somebody that's going to be the, the natural dominant personality that's going to be the go-getter to make things happen. Uh, and then you're going to have somebody that's basically that's going to be kind of uh, the, la the laggard or um, the social loafer is a term. In the, I don't know if it's in this text, but it's in a previous text where they just kind of hang around and allow the dominant personality to do most of the work and do most of the directing of what's going on. And they just kind of are around to take credit. I will say in some group assignments I've been a part of in the past in graduate school, you would have a group assignment. And then after each assignment, you would have a evaluation yeah. where you had to evaluate every member of the team. And so like if you had four people on a team and three of them evaluated this one person poorly, it, would, it could impact their grade. So, um, but teams are important, and it's important that you know kind of your place in the team and how what you do contributes to the team. And so that's a little bit what this chapter talks about. Um, let's talk about teams versus groups. Is there a difference between a group and a team? Is it a collection of people, just a collection of people, regardless of what we call them? A group is comprised of two or more individuals who share common interests or characteristics and its membership identify with one another due to similar traits. A team, on the other hand, is a group of people with different skills and different tasks who work together on a common project, service, or goal, combining their functions and providing mutual support along the way. Yeah, there is some semantics there. 
But the idea of team brings about unity. There's this uh, idea that we're all on the same team. We have a unified goal. We have unified objectives, unified purpose and direction, unified mission, mission and vision. So um, building teams is important. Some advantages, you get higher quality outcomes, higher efficiency, faster speed, more thoughtful ideas, greater effectiveness, better context for individuals, mutual support, greater sense of accomplishment. Yeah, teamwork is is important, even though like our gut reaction says, eh, I don't like working in teams. And that's, I get it, trust me, you know, I've, I've been there. But as we go into the workplace and we have to work with people, we realize very much the importance of teams and how you have to work with people you have to be able to support people and hope that people support you because you are a, a team that works together towards a common po- uh, purpose or goal. And even sometimes you have to work with people that you don't get along with, that you don't really care for, but you still, that doesn't take away from the fact that you have to work with these people and get things done. And so it's important to be able to identify everybody's inputs into the teams and how they create these collective outputs so some types of teams, we have self-managed teams. That's a group of employees working together who are accountable for most all aspects of their tasks. These work teams determine how they will accomplish assigned objectives and decide what route they will take to meet them. They are granted their responsibility of planning, scheduling, organizing, directing, controlling, and evaluating their own work process. They also select their own members and evaluate the members' performance. In this way, they share both the managerial and technical tasks. As a result, supervisory positions take on a decreased importance and may even be eliminated. And so I was watching a movie last night. I've seen it several times. And sometimes I'll just turn on a movie as I'm going to sleep, just have something playing. It's a movie called Moneyball with Brad Pitt in it. Anybody ever seen this? You've seen it? Good movie? Yeah, I like it it too. Yeah, it's very good. And in Moneyball... The way professional baseball works, most of the, at least the way it appears to, from the outside, is that you have a owner, somebody that actually owns the business of the team. The owner hires a general manager. The general manager manages the business and the logistics of the team. And then you have a manager that is on the field actually managing the, 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 the team itself. And so the owner, once they hire the GM and they hire the manager, the owner lets them run the business. You guys are in charge of this thing. You run it, and I'm going to sit back here and just kind of watch, and hopefully we'll make money, you know, hopefully we won't lose money. But they're very much a self-managed team. They have a lot of autonomy. They have a lot of liberty to, to make choices, to make hard decisions when it comes to, like, trading players or organizing the roster, things like that. And so very much self-managed and they have their own accountability. They hold themselves accountable. They know what the expectations are. Their owner is not constantly like micromanaging them and, and hovering over them to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. However, with that responsibility comes accountability. If the performance is not there, if the expectations are not met on a consistent basis, then yeah, they're probably going to replace the general manager, they're probably going to replace the team manager, and uh, you get a new set of circumstances. So self-managed teams are great. It does take people that are very self-directed, very uh, 
somebody that's a self-starter, doesn't need a lot of micromanagement, somebody very organized, um, somebody that embodies a lot of good leadership traits. That's what it takes to be in a self-managed team. And you can be a leader, but not be the team leader. A leader recognizes that sometimes somebody else has got to be in charge, and that's fine. So you can still be a leader and not be the team leader. Project team is a team whose members usually belong to different groups but are assigned activities for the same project, only used for a defined period of time and are disbanded after the project is deemed complete. Central characteristic of project teams in modern organization is the autonomy and flexibility given to them in the process of meeting their goals. Usually consists of a variety of members working under the direction of a project manager or a senior member of the organization. And so another film as an example um, and I probably, I've probably mentioned it here because it was such a disaster. Has anybody seen the Fire Festival films on either Hulu or Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk about a total disaster, right? Horrible. And I've read a bit about it, and I've watched both films, both on Hulu and on Netflix, just because it was interesting. But just to give you a brief synopsis, so there was this entrepreneur, um, and he started an application called Fire, F-Y-R-E. And in order to promote the application which was designed to book high-end talent. So you could have a premier rapper or singer or artist come to a birthday party or a party you're throwing, something like that. And in order to promote the application, he wanted to throw a big festival on an island in the Bahamas. And so just the logistics of bringing infrastructure into an island, you're talking about food, bathrooms, bedding, all that kind of stuff is a huge logistical nightmare. And he wanted to do it not only, you know, the nightmare of doing it to begin with, but he wanted to do it in like four months, which was they festival planners who do it for a living say it takes, you know, 12 to 18 months to plan and run and do a festival. So just horrible, horrible, horrible circumstance. In order to do this, though, he brought together a project team, a team of people that were already connected to the parent company, Fire, and he put them on managing the festival, and he brought in some outsiders to consult and help with it. But the project team were all living in this alternate reality where they knew that this was a bad situation. It probably wasn't going to work. And up until the last minute, you know, they were thinking this is a horrible, horrible thing. It's just not going to work out. And it ended up blowing up and imploding in spectacular fashion. If you get a chance to watch it, it's really interesting. Um, uh, once again, it's called like Fire Festival or uh, Fire something, FYRE. Look it up. on. Uh, if you just type in FYRE on Hulu or Netflix, it'll show it to you. But yeah, project teams usually brought together for this short amount of time, focused on one aspect of the business, usually something like a promotion or an event or a new product that they want to try to bootstrap and get going. And then they disband after a short period of time. Or it could become a whole new formed unit within the organization. Just depends on the circumstances. Also, we have cross-functional teams, consist of people from different parts of the organization. Team members have different functional expertise from finance, marketing, operations, and human resources uh, departments, for example, and they typically come from different levels of their organization. May also come from outside an organization, in particular from suppliers, key customers, or consultants. Typically function as a self-directed team assigned to a particular task that requires the input and expertise of numerous departments. Will increase the level of creativity and out-of-the-box thinking since its members bring unique perspectives and skills to the problems at hand. 
Very brief example here. I was invited to a meeting last week to talk about summer camps next summer. We do have some K-12 summer camps here on campus where middle schoolers, for examples, will come in and they'll, they'll attend a business boot camp for a week or they'll go to a, a aviation school for a week or so. Well, we want to do something a little different this coming summer, something a little more comprehensive. So they invited myself, somebody from uh, a couple other departments, um, academic departments, and there was people from the, uh, uh, I guess, the training area or the development area to talk about uh, these initiatives. And there were people who were uh, different levels of management on, you know, in the room. And so we came together as a cross-functioning team just to have that meeting. And we may meet again, but it's a very limited thing, but it involves different people, various perspectives. And we came up with some good ideas, I thought. And so a couple more manager-led team. Team members complete the required task, but outside the team, a manager performs the executive functions, provides more control, but they can also hamper creativity and individual expression. And then lastly, we get to virtual teams, a group of individuals in different geographic locations who use technology to collaborate on work tasks and activities. Prevalent due to reduced costs, increased availability due to collaborative technologies, shift towards globalization and greater use of outsourcing and temporary workers, offers flex flexibility around <coughs> the logistics of doing business since members can meet from any location at any time of the day or a week. Yeah, I've done several virtual teams. Um, I was on a podcast with somebody recently and I met these people online. I've never met them in person before. Um, all enthusiasts. Uh, there's a new Star Trek show coming out. I know this is uber geeky, but they started a podcast and related that, and we're part of a group that talks about uh, Star Trek. So they invited me to be a part of one of their episodes. So the main host is from New York. The co-host is from Kentucky, and I was from North Carolina. So we all got together on a Skype and did a 90-minute podcast about you know an episode that's upcoming. And so that's just one example of a virtual team. But I've also taught at institutions online where I never met my boss. I worked one at school online for seven years uh, as an adjunct, never met my boss, never met my boss's boss, and never met any colleagues that I worked with. And we just did the whole thing completely virtually. In fact, I still on occasion will teach for another institution online. And I used to know the guy, one of the guys that worked there, but now since that person's left, so I'm doing the whole thing virtually with somebody I've never met before as far as my points of contact. I, I talk to people that I've never physically met. And that's a pretty common thing. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a very common thing in the world today. So let's talk about stages of team development. You just don't throw people together and they become a team instantly, right? You have to kind of give them some time to mesh. Give some time to get to know each other and kind of uh, form to each other. And so when teams develop, they move through a series of stages, beginning when they are formed and ending when they're disbanded. Bruce Tugman identified four distinct stages of team development, which is forming, storming, norming, and performing. He later added a fifth stage, adjourning, which is especially important for self-directed teams and project-based teams that form to reach a specific goal. Each stage has a primary purpose and a common set of interpersonal dynamics among team members. Tugman proposed that all these stages are an inevitable and even necessary part of successful team evolution. 
And so let's talk about these stages. So forming, this is how we get together. This is how we organize. Focus on defining the assigning tasks, establishing a schedule, organizing teams' work, team gathers impressions of one another. I'm just doing this right now. I'm on a subcommittee for one of our committees here on, on Wayne, Wayne Community College, and I'm the chair of the subcommittee, and so I have to organize and get this team together. Uh, we've got four other people on the team, and we were able to get uh, everybody kind of together, but now I'm responsible for kind of getting this all together at a meeting and getting somebody assigned the role of uh, scribe or note taker and uh, going over the things that we need to cover. So, yeah, these things, they seem kind of, I know, very business and maybe boring, but these do manifest in your life as you go into the professional workplace. Um, the storming stage involves brainstorming ideas, results in disruption, members open up and confront others' ideas, can be contentious, decrease motivation, can be resolved quickly. Yeah, think of storming as the stage where it's kind of the rough and tumble. You know, we, we've met each other, but we haven't really, we're still trying to figure everything out, you know trying to figure each other out. Um, and my wife just started a new job within the past probably two or three months. And she's kind of having to adjust to their team atmosphere because in her pre, she's had two jobs within the past. Well, actually, this is her third job in the past, I guess, 18 months because she left a job she was at for 13 years. She spent almost a year at this, this past previous job, and now she's been in this new place for about three months or so. But in each setting, she's had to go through this forming, storming, norming process because even though they already have an established team, she's had to form to that team and it creates a new mix with a new player, so to speak. Um, and so there is some kind of getting used to each other, understanding each other's language, their body language, the way they address you, the way they interact with you. So there's, there's some, uh, I guess, development stage that goes there. And then we get to norming. Norming is when a team has clarified its purpose and its strategy for achieving its goals. Now transition to a period focused on developing shared values about how team members will work together. Become a way of simplifying choices and facilitating collaboration since members have shared expectations about how work will get done. As an example here with norming, this is my fifth year at Wayne. My first couple years, you know, we're still basically forming storming. You know, we're all getting to know each other, you know, get, figuring things out. I know I was still learning a lot, and I still am learning a lot. But now I feel like in my department, I can speak for my department, um, I feel like we've all kind of hit a norm where everybody kind of knows what the expectations are. We know what needs to be done, and we all work to make sure that things get done. And for me personally, I don't want anybody in my department or my, my division to be inconvenienced or put in a bad light because of any performance that I put up. You know, like, I don't want a phone call from the VPAA or the president saying we missed something or didn't do something because of some of my effort. And so, like, my goal is to give good performance, do good work, help my students, and help, you know, my division have a positive, positive light shed on it. Uh, and so, that's I think that's what most people believe in my area here uh, and like I can't speak for other divisions and what their philosophies are but I feel like I can speak for what I believe everybody in my building uh, kind of stands for and so we get to the latter stages so we've talked about forming, norming, storming now we're getting to performing this is where we actually get things 
done. By now, team members work together easily on independent tasks, are able to communicate and coordinate effectively, fewer time-consuming distractions based on interpersonal and group dynamics, motivation is usually high, team members have confidence in their ability to attain goals. So we're at the stage now where we're really getting things done. No, like, no interpersonal dynamics, really. I mean, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows how everybody works. Everybody knows everybody's uh, strengths and weaknesses, you know. And so we really can just focus on uh, the goals at this point. And then the journey, this last stage, um, this was, a, like I mentioned earlier, a later added stage because I just, when I learned this initially, this was the first four stages. But Bruce Tuckman, uh, jointly with Marianne Jensen, added the adjourning stage to describe the final stretch of a team's work together. It includes both the last steps of completing the task and breaking up the team. Important way of providing closure, and it can help team members successfully move on to the next work project or team uh, with the sense of a job well done, you know. Um, I don't think I've really had many hard adjournments that I can think of um, where we, we had like a big project or something that we launched and then it was done and then we moved on. The first example that came to my mind was like a video game company when they work on a game for many years to get to market and when they finally launch it, I could see them being very happy about being able to ship it and get it, get it out the door. Something like that or a new technology, maybe a new... I don't know, new, like Apple Watch or tablet or whatever the project may be that you're working on, once you eventually ship it and get it to market, I can see how that team, teamwork or group of people, uh, you know, would feel kind of the sense of completion and then they break up the team and move on to something else, whatever it be, the next project. Or some people will stay behind probably to maintain and do updates and things like that. So, all right. So let's talk about success factors, ways teams are successful. The way team members function as a group is as important to the team's success as the quality of what it produces. There are many factors that play a role in team success, and the following is by no means an exhaustive list. However, teams that lack the factors below will likely struggle to function well. Trust teams work better when they trust one another. Yeah, I can't say it enough. I say it in every class I teach. Integrity is so important. If you compromise your integrity, you're really like, people just don't forget that. Like, if you lie, if you lie, cheat, and steal, if you're caught, if you're caught in those lies, that's just not good. It's going to damage your rep forever, basically. And so do things with the utmost, highest integrity. Um, I've learned a lot working at Walmart, and I'm thankful for my experience, even though a lot of it was negative, because it taught me, uh, some good and bad things, you know, bad things to avoid and good things to, to do. And one of the good things that did teach me, even though they did it the wrong way, was they talked a lot about integrity issues. They would use that term integrity issue. And they were basically would threaten people, which is the wrong way to do it, that if you lied or were caught in a lie, that it was an integrity issue and that was considered like, just like really, really bad. So that was just something they threw out a lot, you know, just to kind of, as a method of control. And I just, didn't like their methodology the way they did it, but I got the importance of how important it is to maintain a, a good, solid integrity foundation. And so if you come across things in your professional life, even personal life, that you think are integrity issues, go ahead and get that out in the open. Don't like don't like try to hide it or lie about it. Just go ahead and disclose it. Get it out there. Like 
You know, if one of my kids broke a dish of mine last night, it was a little set of it was, it was like I bought this set of uh, measuring cups. They were glass. I got them on sale. I'm not gonna lie, I love my little measuring cups. You know, yeah. So I got them at Target. They were like five bucks, and they were originally like twenty. So it's you know, good deal, right? I'm feeling it. Well, my daughter, she was like hustling around last night trying to make her lunch, and she broke one of the four cups, and I was upset. And I was like, ah, you broke my cup. But if I was, you know, if I, if I wasn't there, would she have just thrown it away and not told me about it? And then I wondered what happened to the cup, or would she have come out and said, Dad, I broke one of your cups. Don't be mad, you know. But I would hope that she would just go ahead and tell me about it and just move on, and I would appreciate her disclosing it. I would be thankful that she had the integrity to just, just disclose that and, and tell me about it. I know it's hard because she's worried about, like, you know, repercussions and things like that, but uh, getting that out in the open just helps you sleep better at night. You know, I don't sleep great at night, but it's not because of integrity issues. It's because I just don't sleep great. But, <laughs> but uh, I can't imagine how horrible I would sleep if I had, uh, like, a guilty conscience over something. So I know I've kind of belabored this, but please, that's how important it is. Effective communication, important for teams to communicate well among members. Yeah, and don't talk about team members behind each other's back. That's not good either. That's very destructive. Um I went to a manager one time while I was at Walmart, and I said to the manager that I felt like the team wasn't very cohesive, and they were reliant on me to do a lot of the the legwork for running and catching calls and things like this. That's exactly what I said to him. He went behind my back and told all the team members that I'd said that. Oh my gosh, yeah. I had this one manager, so this older lady, she hated me forever, and I never knew why she hated me. She just, she's look, she just hated me, hated my guts. And one day, toward the end of my career there, I said, you know, can we talk a minute? I said, I don't know what it is between you know you and me, but what's what's the deal? What's the problem? And she said, well, the manager had told them what I had said, and she was offended by that. And so, you know, I tried to like apologize and said, you know, I didn't didn't mean it you specifically, and but you know, I shook her hand, but it just didn't work. She still hated me, so. But, yeah, so integrity is important. Don't talk about people behind their back. Uh, I don't think I was talking about people behind their back. I was, having a, I was having a legitimate concern about what I thought was an operational thing. And uh, the manager went and talked about me behind my back and shared that. So these things happen, you know. Uh, there is a lot of office politics that, that comes into play. <clears throat> Better just stay on the sidelines and not get involved in any of that kind of stuff. So common goal helps team members to build group cohesion and understand that they are working together with a common purpose. Define team responsibilities, better able to understand what is expected, stay on track, make appropriate contributions and avoid duplicating other team members' efforts. And group cohesion arises when bonds link members of a team to one another and the team as a whole. Yeah, we don't do a whole lot as a team in this building, but every Two or three, probably twice a semester or so, we'll have a a luncheon where we'll get together and we'll have like a covered dish type thing, you know. And we hang out and kind of just uh, just talk, you know, talk as individuals and talk about what's going on. So that's part of our group cohesion, you know, it's our team team effectiveness. All right. So some barriers to communication. Um, well, effective sorry, effective communication and barriers. So the simplest model of communication relies on three distinct parts, sender, messenger, and receiver. That's very elementary when it comes to communication. 
you've got to have a sender, you've got to have a message, which is something to be received, and you've got to have somebody to receive it. More complex models add a fourth element, the channel used to send the message, whether it be through body language, through spoken word, through written word, whatever channel or modality you choose. Failures of human communication can become amplified in professional settings. It's important for businesses to communicate clearly, consistently, and honestly. It's also important to be informed about things that get in the way of communication and seek to overcome them. So there's some barriers right here. Use of jargon. What is jargon? Anybody know? Jargon. Fancy language? What do you mean? Right. So right now what we're having is a pedagogical interaction. What is a what is a pedagogical what is a pedagogical interaction? Can you spell that on the board? <laughs> um, I will try to. But in brief, let me explain what it is first. Um, pedagogy is the act of teaching to students and andragogy is the act of teaching older students. So pedagogy I think it's P-E-D-A-G-O-D-Y. Yeah. And when you, you if pedagogical, P-E-D-A-G-O-D-I-A-L. I believe that's the correct way to spell it. Google may correct me on that. So, but you change the first to Andra, A-N-D-R-A, instead of Peta. But pedagogy is the act of teaching kids. Andragogy is the act of teaching adults or older students. And the reason I brought that up is because that's jargon. That's, that's education jargon that you're not supposed to, uh, to know. You know. You don't know what that jargon is. But if I say pedagogy, you, you're like, what was he talking about? And that's, that's jargon, and that is actually a barrier of communication that we're talking about. You know, If I go talk to the Apple store, and they start talking about all this technical mumbo-jumbo jargon, I'm not going to know what that is. You know, I mean... I don't need to know that, you know, but speak to me in a language that I understand. Withholding information, not a good idea. Be as transparent as possible. Uh, people, uh, I've had managers that withheld information and they would look at you and think, and like, oh, I got something you don't have, so I'm powerful, you're not. Mm -hmm. And I've had managers that also told everything. They go into a meeting and come back and say, I'm not supposed to tell you guys this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And they just drop everything on the table. And so, yeah, I mean, I've had both types of managers. But... I trust the manager that tells me things more than the manager that withholds information. The trust level goes up. Because, you know, if you've got somebody that's not telling you stuff, you feel like there's a secret, and there's a secret, there's a trust issue, right? And so there are some legitimate reasons to not tell employees information. Like if there's going to be a drastic change that's going to affect morale or if it's going to affect uh, people's money, they're going to have less hours, things like that. There's a reason that you want to have a uniform message and a time that you do disclose that. But for the most part, you want to be as transparent as you can. Chain of commands, that's a barrier of communication, meaning that you only need to talk to me, you don't need to talk to my boss, just talk to me only. Lack of trust, absolutely. If I don't trust you, I don't trust the information that you're giving me. Right now, I don't even know if I, you're telling me the truth or not, right? Physical barriers. We don't work in the same building. So that's a, that creates a communication issue. Somebody has to pick up the phone. Biases, the way they perceive and interpret information. 
and the way they share information. Their biases can lead you to share information one way or the other. And then filtering. I could say these things to people, but they only hear what they want to hear, right? Selective mm-hmm. listening. It's because they've got a filter on. They only hear what they want to hear. So I could talk all this class about communication. Then I start talking about, you know, Frozen 2, and somebody will dial into that. Oh, Frozen 2, yes, I'm excited. Let's go see that. But they didn't hear anything about the business and the communication, but when we start talking about Frozen 2, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I dialed into that because that's something that I'm interested in. And so now let's talk about those channels, flows, and networks. In communication, a channel is a means of passing information from a sender to the recipient. Determining the most appropriate channel or medium is critical to the effectiveness of communication. Flows are patterns of communication and are classified based on direction. Networks are comprised of all communication that run along its official lines of authority. And so you all have an appropriate channel or preferred channel that you like. Who would prefer to talk on the phone over text? Who prefers to talk on the phone over text? One, two. Who prefers to text over talk? Right? Me too. Like, don't call me. Text me. You know, like, that's what text is for, right? And, like, you know, if I've got a, and even with my students, like, I tell my students to send me an email over call, but it's not necessarily because I want to talk to you. It's because I want a written record of what we discussed so I can keep up with it. When I've got 175 students approximately now that I have, I can't remember everything that was said on a phone call, but if we have an email correspondence, and I have a dean or my chair come and talk to me a month or two from now about a student issue, whatever it may be, I've got written correspondence about what we did that day, what, what transpired. And so it's a record of a transaction or a conversation that we had. Transaction meaning that you asked for, like, to submit an assignment or something like that, you know, where you asked to be put into a class or asked to be dropped from a class. That's an especially important one for me. If you ask to be dropped, I have to have some type of written documentation on file to verify this is why we're doing this. So, um, when it comes to channels, rich versus lean. Rich channels are more interactive, provide opportunities for two-way communication, and allow both the sender and receiver to read the nonverbal messages. The richest is face-to-face meeting, in-person or presentation. Right now, we're having two-way communication. Even though most of you are not talking right now, you're all giving me nonverbal communication, right? So that's, that's a two-way communication. It's very rich. It's very interactive. It's immediate. If you need to say something or communicate, we can have it right now. It's the richest form. Uh, a slightly less rich is online meeting or video conference. We can still have a oral communication. We can still uh, see each other through video conferencing, but it's not as immediate or it's not as temporal. Well, that's not a correct word. It's not as, I guess, physical as being here, you know, person to person. Um, lean channels are teleconferences, phone calls, voice messages, video, like FaceTime. And then the leanest are blogs, reports, brochures, newsletters, flyers, email, texts, social media posts, memos, things that are mostly one way. Like if you send an email, which would be kind of like I would consider lean, you can at least respond to that. But if I send you, if you get a memo in your hand, who you're gonna, I mean, you, where are you going to send that? You know, you, you just, that's, a, that's the leanest form. Leanest channels. On the other hand, trim the fat and present information without allowing for immediate interaction. They often convey just the facts. This is just the information. Yes, ma'am. You have leanest. Uh, yeah, I think this is just a this is just a 
explanation of the leanists. Like, like, so there's only four rich, richest, rich, lean, leanists. See those four bullets right here? Yes, sir. This is just uh, this is just diving deeper into the explanation of what leanist is. It should be probably moved over to under here, like right here. Yeah. Just, but this is just a additional explanation. Yeah. So, um, just getting into what that is. The actual leanist. We're just presenting the facts. So which channel to use? Consider using these factors: the audience and their reaction to the message, the length of time it will take to convey the information, the complexity of the message, the need for a permanent record of communication. That's why I use email. The degree to which the information is confidential, and the cost of the communication. All important points to consider, and <clears throat> it really depends on how important the message is. You know, and as to what uh, channels that we use. Um, flows. So, just to go over these kind of briefly, downward or top down, information comes from the top down to the bottom. Upward communication is when people uh, on the front line or somewhere in the middle pass information up to upper level managers. Horizontal communication is between coworkers of the same rank or level. So, somebody that's uh, working uh, as a department manager, they may have a horizontal communication to another department manager about similar issues. Diagonal communication is sharing of information among different structural levels. So going uh, from you know somebody who's a department manager up to like a divisional, regional, district manager level. And then external, somebody outside the organization, communication people, organizations outside the business, often handled by marketing and sales or some type of PR. That's uh, where flows can go from. And then networks. By now you know the business communication can take different forms and flow between different kinds of senders and receivers. Another way to classify communication is by network. <coughs> so a formal network, I'm just going to talk about formal and informal briefly. Formal is the, the actual proposed normal way that we get out information, whether it be announcements, emails, uh, newsletters. These are basically one way and the formal business structure put these put these things out organizational structure informal is where we have <coughs> this kind of grapevine effect where you hear information from other people and you might have information that comes from other sources other than the formal uh, messaging so like if you get uh, if somebody if you're talking to somebody that works in a different industry and they heard some information about your industry, that's kind of an informal communication. <coughs> um, or if you're talking amongst coworkers and you're kind of gossiping and hear rumors about what's going on, that's informal communication. It says it usually occurs outside an organization's established channels for conveying messages and transmitting information. Usually leaves no record or trace for those to find and share. <coughs> usually occurs in any direction. It takes place between individuals of different status and roles. Often occurs between people who do not work together directly but share an affiliation or a common interest in the organization's activities and or a motivation to perform their jobs well. So just basically informal information sharing. All right. I think this is uh, yeah the last part here about electronic communication. So there's this thing that we have now. It's called email. Have you heard of it? It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, most people are using it. Check it out. Um, the thing about email is it's very cool and fast and convenient, but it's also something that we get a lot of. I mean, how many emails do you guys think you get a day, honestly? 
Give me a number. What do you give me a number? What do you think? I will say between one and two hundred emails a day for me. What's that? Huh? Seventy to and what? So about a hundred. Yeah. Anybody get more than one to two hundred a day? It's cool if you do, but <clears throat> yeah. So email it's one of those forms that we get a lot. It's a lot of it going out and coming in, and it's easy to not put a lot of weight into it because it's intangible. It's online. But there's often a lot of good information shared in emails. Um, so when business allows customers to shop online, receive discounts by providing personal information, use live chat, communicate customer service, they are hoping to enhance the image of provider customer's experience that is superior to the competition. But what happens when the information a customer shares with a business is compromised or stolen by a third party? This is talking about security. So a lot of security issues. Um, that are present. We've got viruses, worms, Trojan horses, spoofing or phishing, which is uh, they're trying to fake you out by sending you like a uh, email that will convince you to hand over sensitive information. And then the DDoS or denial of service attacks. These are all ways that people try to like harm like personal security or compromise information. Um, has anybody ever been a victim of phishing or spoofing? I was one time, I got an email from eBay, I was at work, and they said, you know, they needed me to log in. So like an idiot, I clicked the link and logged in. And then before I knew it, somebody had listed a BMW and a Harley on my account. And if those sales had closed, I would have owed thousands of dollars in fees to eBay. But luckily, eBay called it, we called it, and canceled it. And, but those types of things happen. There's people just doing that just for to mess with people. Sometimes they're doing it for more sinister purposes. And so, um, yeah. There's all types of issues that pop up, and it's important to be familiar with data security and make sure that you're not clicking all those direct links and emails and um, just being aware of your online presence and who you're turning over information into over to because some of those sites look just like the actual site. So hazard and cost. Uh, the low cost and rapid delivery of electronic communication makes it preferred method of communication for businesses and consumers. But there can be hidden, hidden hazards and costs. The following are common ones. <clears throat> Electronic communication is forever. Yeah, if you send out something, beware what you say in email. Um, I, had a, I had a colleague that was um, at another institution, and he was very, paranoid is the wrong word, but just very careful of what he put in email. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't put anything damaging or damning in the email that he thought could be construed in any way against him at all. He would, he would say things without email, but he would not put things on the record. Because once you put something in email, it's on the record forever and ever and ever. Because it goes to a server, and it's maintained on that server indefinitely. And so someone may be watching you. Yeah, it's, especially in the workplace, a lot of computers are monitored. So be aware of that. Innocent messages can still harm you. Yeah, if you're having a, you know, something that you perceive as benign, Somebody could take it offensively, you know, like you have to be very careful what you say and how you say it, especially online. Have you ever got a text message and you thought somebody was mad or upset, but they weren't? Some miscommunication because of the text. Those things happen, so be care of that. And then email avalanche. Uh, you could inadvertently start getting a ton of email because of people getting a hold of your information, that kind of stuff. So some additional ethical issues, and this will wrap it up. Technology enables businesses to communicate and store information more readily and efficiently than ever. However, 
as much as technology impacts the way companies do business, it also raises important new issues for employer employee relationships. So there's an expectation of privacy, um, screening applicants' access to social media accounts, yeah, and then ethical for business to collect data about a person and then sell their information to another business. So real briefly, <coughs> um, if you use an office computer, do you have an expectation of privacy? No. Zero, right? So anything you do on office equipment, even on the Wi-Fi, there's no expectation of privacy. So beware of that. Um, there has been reports of people being asked to sign into their social media during like job interviews. Have you heard about this? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And number one, in my opinion, I don't think you need to work somewhere that does that. I mean, that's just too extreme. But I can tell you guys, if you don't know this, you're learning it for the first time here, that more than 50% of all job hirers are looking on social media before they make a hiring decision. So they look you up, they find out who you are, a little bit about what you do prior to making a hiring decision. So social media presence is, is very important and it's important to maintain a, an integrity-based social media presence. And um, we're talking about selling other people's data, that's really a sticky situation. We could talk a little bit more about that on Thursday. But for the meantime, um, we're going to dismiss for now. Guys, I appreciate you being here. If you need anything, email me, and we'll see you on Thursday, okay? Have a good day.